Welcome to the Christopher Peter podcast, which contains my individual segments from this week's Christopher Peter review. Please enjoy. Welcome to the podcast today. Hope all is well. Many of us believe that we make every choice in our lives based on rational decision-making, a thorough evaluation process, or comparison of the costs and benefits. In reality, we are highly susceptible to marketing campaigns, whether we are consciously aware of it or subconsciously exposed to it. For example, I want you to take a moment and think of your favorite place to grab a cup of coffee. Is it Starbucks? Is it Dunkin' Donuts? Or maybe it is a regional chain or local spot. The most commonly frequented places are Starbucks and Dunkin' Right? Many people go to Starbucks because of the brand image and messaging we have been exposed to on television, radio, or internet-based ads. Largely influenced by the ecosystem of Starbucks users who become unpaid brand ambassadors for the coffee giant. People who swear that Starbucks makes the best coffee the best experience, or an essential part of a successful climb of the corporate ladder. The Starbucks Cup associates career success. There are many movies and shows where you see people in corporate boardrooms with the famous cup in front of them. Perfect product placement and association. If there are any producers that want to play the Christopher Peter Review podcast in the background of their show or movie, preferably a business or political themed one, please do so. In all seriousness, this is why you see products in certain movies. Also, when you see everyday people emulating this as well, then you have a really effective marketing plan. The people we know and interact with are ones that typically confirm our decision to accept or reject brands or products. I notice people who want to appear on the upward career track do not want to be seen with a Duncan cup. Because Duncan is the brand of the working class. But, they do not mind helping themselves to donuts when available. Because who can turn down a donut? Not anyone I want to meet. Personally, I tend to patronize Dunkin' more than Starbucks because of convenience at times. I feel like there are more Dunkin' Donuts outside of cities that have ample seating to work out of than Starbucks, which is more prevalent in city environments. But I do not mind a stop at Starbucks in the city. We do not always patronize brands because of product qualities. Usually, we are not expert enough to truly distinguish quality unless it is quite obvious. A luxury branded product is usually noticeably better material than a product from a value brand. People will pay for the brand name, but producers do want to justify that brand name with a somewhat noticeable difference. For instance, you can tell the difference between a car sold by Mercedes or BMW than a car made by Kia. There are many nice Kia cars nowadays, but there still is a clear difference in production quality, standard features, reliability, and service to justify the gap in price. In some cases, competing brands are hard to make a substantive difference, although we may pretend to. The preference for Coke or Pepsi really comes down to one's preference for sweetness or fizzness. People who like sweeter things prefer Pepsi, people who like non-flat soda within a 10-minute period will prefer Coke. Everything around is impacted by marketing. At your job, your boss, department head, division leader, and so on will market to you and the rest of your colleagues reasons that you should remain loyal or message that loyalty is somehow more valuable than maximizing your true value. The catch is they want a stable team without turnover. Our politics involves a great level of marketing. How we perceive issues is greatly impacted by how the news media of your choice markets their content. Remember news is a business first. Like professional wrestling, they need to get an emotional reaction out of the audience to keep ratings up and interest in what's next. Our candidates carefully vet what they say in speeches, what their teams air on commercials, and what social media channels put out on the internet. Usually carefully scripted, polled, and crafted to present a manicured image of the candidate. Consider how many people are fascinated by the lure of New York City. In reality, our largest city is filled with a homelessness problem that is unmanaged, crime that is getting out of control, 
and the perpetual smell of human urine and feces. While there are many positives about New York City, it does not live up to the billing. We must also remember that the I Love New York theme was a marketing campaign to change the global perception of the city. Focus on the positive, while coordinating how the local media, politicians, and people speak about the city. Similar to what we see with the national advertising campaign that is being done to promote Chicago and Illinois. Marketing is how we attempt to position ourselves for new jobs, promotions, or connect with people who could advance our careers, serve a need, or partner for life. Marketing is how we convince others that we are friendly, trustworthy, or good people. Or how we do the opposite sometimes without even knowing it. To some degree, we do need to take a step back and ensure that we are making choices that reflect our true needs, wants, and values. Are we buying products because at one time they did align with who we are as people? Do they still align or have they shifted or reaffirmed? Are we buying products that best serve our needs, wants, and values or are there ones that better meet our criteria for purchase? I try not to be brand specific for many things. Not perfect, I do have my preferred brands for some products. Even with those preferred products and service providers, I do try to evaluate the market for these brands to see whether they still meet my needs or are still positioned where I believe them to be. All too often we see brands use marketing campaigns to cover for quality issues that they simply do not want to fix. So it is important to look beyond the marketing and understand the operating results and market performance. Sometimes it is not easy. We are human. We want what we want. Right. We do the research, get confused and go right back to our comfort zones. Usually there are other factors that make us rethink our brand choices. Look at Bud Light's demise. The once top-selling beer in America created its own decline by a controversial marketing campaign, where they pushed away their customer base. Brands usually operate on the principle that current customers are more valuable than new ones because the acquisition cost of new customers is high. The worst outcome is that you target a new customer base that does not want to connect while alienating your current customer base and you come away with neither. That is what Bud Light is experiencing right now. New marketing campaigns are not working either to win back the customers. We see this with businesses that are caught doing bad things or make catastrophic mistakes. When a company loses a high-profile lawsuit that threatens their integrity, it makes people question whether to continue their association with their products and services. Once that gap or moment of clarity occurs, I do not believe that thematic marketing campaigns are effective. That is usually when people want to hear from the leadership to acknowledge their error, atone for it by rectifying the impact, or make a rational defense of why it was actually a problem caused by them or why the public may be overreacting. Otherwise, customers will reevaluate their market baskets. For Bud Light, I do not think the original customer base feels the brand leadership is doing enough and it seems like Bud Light will no longer be the top beer in America. Some wounds do not heal fast. Interesting to see right in front of us. For many brands, the goal is to connect with customers and become the easy default choice in their life. Do not rethink it. Competing brands want to cause points of disruption to make you reassess that choice. So it is interesting when brands make mistakes and do the work for their competitors. Modelo's is probably appreciating the new business and new position in the market. Miller Lite is probably seeing some benefits as well. All without the cost of customer acquisition or making the argument of why their products better fit the lives of the Bud Light drinkers. I think the important takeaway from this segment is that we are constantly surrounded by marketing by brands, people, and the world around us. Everything we do and experience is probably impacted by marketing. Our economic and personal outcomes are impacted by how well we market ourselves. Personal marketing matters. We want the people that we report to value our contributions and understand that we are prepared to do more and make greater impacts to the company. We want people to value us and our opinions. 
That is why we manicure our social media feeds in the manner we do. Most people do not talk about their failures, struggles, or adversity. Social media is about celebrations with family, friends, and those close to us. We control the narrative of our lives and want to manage how others perceive us. That is how we market. When we want a promotion or raise, we do not shed light on how many emails we overlooked, times we did not achieve our goals, or did not give our best efforts. We focus on the positive and try to counter the negatives. That is how we use marketing to our favor. Marketing is important. It is how brands communicate, how political organizations message, charities garner support, and how we ask for what we want and need. It is all marketing. Now, let us discuss what is happening in our sports and entertainment environment. A tough week for sports fans in the city of Miami. In a matter of 24 hours, Miami sports fans saw their Miami Heat succumb to the Denver Nuggets to end their chances in the NBA Finals and then saw their Florida Panthers get blown out of the Stanley Cup Finals losing 9 goals to 3. If any sports fans understand their frustration, it would be us Philly fans who saw our Phillies lose the World Series then saw our Eagles lose a close Super Bowl a few months later. But Philly fans and Miami fans will realize that making it to the championship is a good thing and reflective of a great season, despite not achieving the ultimate goal. Both Miami teams were not among the favorites to even make an appearance in the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals. They were not the top seeds in the respective conferences in their respective leagues. They had rosters that the sports pundits felt were less formidable than the opponents they were facing. So we can appreciate their successes in overcoming the odds although they did not cross the finish line. I think we overvalue the odds we see coming from sports betting. The odds are interesting to watch and see. But some networks treat the data as gospel, when the picks rarely pan out when you look at the preseason picks and the eventual champion. The Buffalo Bills were supposed to win the Super Bowl. They did not even make the AFC Championship game. A lot can happen throughout the course of a season to make those odds appear outrageous. I get it. I do like seeing the odds shift week to week. But I do feel that these organizations should feature reporting and journalism more than gambling sentiments. Much of sports talk nowadays is predictions. People want to be on record predicting who will win championships, who will win most valuable player awards, who will move where in free agency, and who will be released, fired, or traded. Even with the presence of new data, information, or reporting, Many of these personalities will hold true to the predictions rather than update their views in the presence of new data. To their credit, gamblers do. The interesting prediction I heard from some basketball analyst was the prediction the game of basketball will be forever changed by the Denver Nuggets and their Nikola Jokic. Jokic is a tremendous player, although I believe and still believe MB deserved the MVP award over him this year and last. I love his Jokic personality and what he brings to not only basketball, but to sports and perspective of life but did he change the game in the same manner as Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors? A trend in sports is that people mimic the success they see. That is true in life as well. For instance, if you see someone get promoted doing their job a certain way, then that signals that your higher-ups must want you to do the same. If something wins a team a championship then it must be replicated if your team wants to win a championship. But that does not always work out. The Golden State Warriors changed the game of basketball because they broke the norm and decided that a team should take more threes in a game because three-pointers are worth more than two-pointers and dunks and one can reasonably project that even with a lower success rate of three-point shooting compared to two-point shots attempts, a team will score more points when all at the end of the game. They were right. With elite three-point shooters in Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, they effectively outscored teams at will. Even during nights where they were not playing up to their norm, they still generated offense at a level to ensure they were in every game. The result of their experiment is four championships in six trips to the finals.
not a bad way to confirm a theory. Of course, if they did not enjoy that level of success, you would not see every team reigning threes like their lives depended on it. Other teams thought their path to success was to mimic what they saw the Warriors do. Yet, only the Warriors enjoyed sustained success as others tried to establish what they already mastered. The next evolution is expected to be a center that plays like a guard. Who can shoot threes as effectively as Jokic makes it look. And the NBA has three big men that can do that with two already winning a title. Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. So there is credibility in that projection. In order for it to be further cemented either the first two need to win a second title soon or my Sixers need to end the drought and capture the long-awaited title. This is the first time in the NBA that there is really parity in the league. For quite some time, there was a super team that dominated their respective conferences. Four straight years we saw the Cleveland Cavaliers compete against the Golden State Warriors, which was preceded by two years of the Miami Heat and San Antonio Spurs finals, part of four finals appearances by the Heat. Dynasties are a thing in every league but basketball seems to have more than their fair share, even if the dynasty team makes the finals and does not win it. So, if there really is a change in how basketball is going to be played we have to see if Golden State just does not restart their winning ways by adding number 5 and 6. Or does LeBron capture number 5 with a return of his dominant style and how he prefers his teams to play? There is a possibility that this is just a lull in the history of the sport. Or maybe a real monumental shift in how the game is played. That is what makes sports so fun is that to find out we have to enjoy the ride. Now let us talk about inflation for a bit. Is inflation really shrinking or is it just growing at a slower rate? That is an important question and one that is important if you want to gain real perspective on a major economic problem. Social media can be one big source of rabbit holes filled with equal parts nonsense, entertainment, misinformation, disinformation, insight, hysteria, and mindless rambling. But, Sometimes the threads can show conflicting viewpoints clearly based on perspectives not shaped by facts, evidence, and data. The driving force for selecting this topic for discussion was a thread where conservatives claimed inflation was increasing and Biden supporters pushing back that the number is lower than the prior month or the number from this time last month. So which side is correct? Is inflation shrinking, easing, or growing? First, we must understand how the inflation number is calculated. Inflation rates reflect the cost of a select basket of goods and services comparing the total cost of purchasing that mix during the base period against the current or comparison period. So if you read or hear that inflation was 4% year over year, then you conclude that the same mix of goods and services purchased in the same month of the prior year now cost 4% more purchasing this year, showing the general price level went up by 4%. A year from now let us pretend that the new number is 2%. So inflation must be 2% lower than the prior year. 2 is less than 4. Right? So if the same mix of good purchases a year from now is 2% higher than what the current year, are we better off or worse off? Most would say still worse off. Let us consider the trajectory of the data. If the base year was changed to last year and the comparison is next year, what can we assume is the inflation rate for that new period? We know that year-over-year data shows that the first year was an increase of 4% and then another 2%. Therefore, we can reasonably assume that the inflation rate would be 6%. In actuality, the increase would be 6.08%. You can confirm this by multiplying 100 by 1.04, then the resulting 104 by 1.02, and the subtract the 106.08 and the original 100. Applying the same logic in real data, we can confirm that inflation is still growing but at a slower rate of growth. It is not shrinking when you compare the current to the beginning of the actual period you have to go back to the beginning. Why do some people not really see this? 
I read an article from a respected business publication that made this same mistake comparing only the year to year not year to the beginning of the event. It is an easy mistake to make because we are preconditioned by our political system to make this mistake. When we hear that budget cuts are enacted, the politicians are using this same logic. Or really a logic. Or political logic. They will say we are cutting 5% from discretionary spending, when they are really just lowering the growth of spending by 5%. Allows you to appear like you are doing something when you are not really. But you are slowing the growth of the bad. Like if you are supposed to lose weight, but you gain weight at a slower rate, you are still not losing weight. You are just slowing the trajectory of growth. The problems that necessitated the need for change are still there. Now, the argument is really what people in contracting would call cost avoidance. Because you are paying less of an increase than you could have been. Kind of an optimistic outlook on what is still a cloudy situation. Or politically, you are kicking the can down the road by buying a little more time with the slowing growth of the bad. So the answer to our inflation question is that inflation is growing at a slower rate of growth. It is not shrinking. Simply the new base year now reflects higher price levels so the problem looks better by comparison. The political argument that we can expect to hear is that inflation is shrinking, which it is not. And that prices will never go back to the norm, which is not completely true when you consider that much of the driver of inflation was the result of poor economic policies. Better policies can help move price levels closer to the norm. Some will argue that inflation growth is normally 2%. Well it normally averages 2%. Some years of growth mixed with some years of decline. But the issue is the sudden increase that reduced the economic condition for many households that might never recover in a timely manner. The people who lost their jobs related to shifting economic conditions who may not find the same opportunities as readily available as before. The people who lost retirement funds so near to their retirement age. There is real harm. If you are the politician associated with being the cause of inflation, you will naturally play up the slowing of the growth and shift the scope. If you are the side hoping to exploit the policy failure, it makes sense to focus messaging on the actual situation. For the rest of us, we should understand that inflation is still growing and it is not the time to change any mitigation efforts we may have taken to reduce the effects of inflation.